I appreciate the fact that most of you don't know me and you're clapping for me. I love it. I tell you, we, my wife and I, we are on like a high like nobody's business and it's all legal and it's like, <laughs> it is just blowing us away to see how God has opened every single door, every concern we've ever had. I mean, just the addendum to the story was um, we enrolled our kids um, first at a school down here. We did some research, checked out a school, enrolled our kids for the coming year. It was that school that called her that wanted her to work there. So just the fact of our kids are going to be at the same school that my wife is going to be teaching at, it's just like, God, thank you. Thank you so much. And so just to, to be able to do church at this kind of phase and with friends and Oh, I've just, I, I'm humbled by the fact of God is saying, Scott, really, you can, you can have this and be a part of this and be a part of the level. And I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. And so I look forward to the fact of you and I get to talk and I'm going to learn names, all 800 of you. <laughs> um, I'll go by Scott, you go by Steve, we'll all be good. <laughs> But this morning, I want to take just a few minutes and, and, and share the word with you a little bit. Um, first of all, I recognize that even in my own life, I'm entering into the biggest challenge I've ever entered into. But there's a part of me, and maybe like you, that you thrive on challenges. You like the things that are, are set before you, that are a little bit beyond you, and you're like, I think I can do it. I've kind of weighed out the odds. I've, I've measured it against my skills and attributes, and I think I can do it. And it's going to be a fun, learning, growing process. And I think we like challenges. But, and for some of us, it's the challenge of moving, the challenge of a new job, or maybe there's the project or the, the promotion at the job. Um, but the hard part for you and for I is there's not many people that really enjoy the process of facing a challenge that exceeds the limits of their own self-image. If you can't picture yourself doing something, most likely you're not going to do it. And even beyond that, you're not even going to try. And so I want to, sh- to, to begin with a story this morning about this. When I was in college, um, I had the opportunity of leading a missions trip. And we were going to go to Portugal for two months. And there were 17 of us on this team. And we spent the majority of the year raising funds and, and team building and coming together all in preparation to go overseas. But the week before we were to get on a plane and go overseas for two months, we had to go to a week of training camp. And in this training camp, they had a thing called a ropes course. And I don't know how many of you ever did a a ropes course before. Some of you may understand the story a little bit more than others this morning. But there were two primary reasons for the ropes course. Number one, they wanted us to learn this drama that could be used for evangelistic reasons. that could span any language barriers. But the second is they wanted to put us through a personal test or trial that if we were willing to face it and overcome it, then we could go on missions. Here's the hard part of the story. If you weren't willing to face the hard trial, you could not go on missions. The last six months of your life was all for naught. The money you had raised was all for naught. And so there was this one single element, this ropes course element called the pamper pole. Let me describe it to you. The pamper pole is basically, it's a telephone pole. Um, It's 25 feet tall. It's a good size one. I mean, you know, the size of a large pizza. And it's got little you know, rungs that come out the sides, and they get you all harnessed up, and you're not going anywhere. You're not going to hurt yourself. But what it is, is you need to climb to the top of this pole. Not too bad. It's like climbing a ladder. But then the trick of it is you need to stand on top of it. And so it's not a big deal. I mean, assuming you're not afraid of heights, 
and you're comfortable with this, but it's like you're climbing to the top of this thing, and it's pretty cool getting up to the top, but you reach a point that your eyes start to get to the top of the pole, and you start to realize that I need to stand on top of this pole. And which is, all right, so you climb up, and, and you start to get the view, and then the pole gets to about, like, right here. And you recognize you're committed. You're committed because the hard part is you've got to get one foot up, and then have you ever tried to stand up from this position without anything to hold on to? And that's the challenge. And it's to finally get to the point that you're just kind of... stand. I'm like three feet off the ground and it's freaking me out. <laughs> and so it's like you're standing on top of this thing and you can feel it sway. Can you feel the sway with me? And you're just like, what's going on here? And, but the, the hardest part of the pamper pole is you've got, to, you've got to reach a place of commitment where you let go, you stand up, and then you've got to stabilize yourself. And the hard part was, if you weren't willing to do this much, you couldn't go on missions. And some of you are like, I'm not going on missions. <laughs> and then, like, the bonus check for the whole thing is, like, if you got that far, there's a trapeze, like, ten feet away that you could jump to and try to, to catch. Yeah. It's like sadistic missions, I tell you. And, and so, I mean, there are a lot of people that, if you're not afraid of heights, and in all honesty, I'm not the afraid of heights kind of person. And I, in college, I was really into rock climbing, so all the harness stuff, I'm like, sweet, it's like a big kid's gymnastics class in... And so, you know, you run up and you jump on the trapeze and it's just fun. But there was this girl on my team and her name was Adrian. And Adrian was kind of a shy girl. Um, but she had prepared the, the previous six months and it was her turn for the pamper pole. And so we've got the 16 of us sitting on the ground and we're there. We're, we're going to cheer her on. We're rooting for her. We're a team in this. We're in this together, even though this is your solo event. And she starts the climbing of the pamper pole. Now, she takes, you know, I mean, there's rungs and, and there's... There's handholds, but I'm going to say in that 25 feet, it didn't take her all that long to get to the top, but she reached a point that her eyes started to crest the top of the pamper pole, and it's almost as if she, for the first time, looked around her and realized how high she really was. At that moment, if you've ever seen a tree hugger, and I'm not talking like some philosophical tree hugger, I'm talking literal tree hugger. She wrapped her arms around that thing like there was no tomorrow. And she held and she cried. And she held and she cried. And we're down there, come on, Adrian, you can do it. You can do it. We believe in you. You can do it. And she's like, no, 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 I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's like, no, keep at it. Keep at it. Now, without exaggeration, she hugged that thing for 45 minutes. At some point, you start to reach exhaustion just by holding on. And she's crying, and, and we're trying to encourage her, and like the professionals of the ropes course are trying to encourage her. And she reaches a point where she says, no, I'm done, and I, I'm coming down, and I don't care what it means for me. And so it's like, okay, just come on down. And to add insult to injury, she was even too afraid to climb down which means the only other option is that the professionals, two of them climbed the pole and pulled her off so that she could just kind of drift down with the ropes. And so that night, we're sitting around, and it's Adrian, it's myself, and it's the missions director from our university. And we're having this very tough conversation. And he says, Adrian, 
if you want to try this again, we're ready. We'll do it tomorrow. We want you to be a part of this because we know that if you're willing to face your fears in a safe environment, then you'll be able to face your fears in a foreign environment. But if you're not willing to face your fears in a safe environment, then you could just come apart at the seams in the foreign environment. Let's give it another shot tomorrow. And she says, I appreciate your offer. I'm not going to do it. And then this was the next thing she said. And this is the most impactful thing for me. She said, I didn't think I would get as far as I did. And this is what blew me away. And let us sink in for where we're headed today. And that is the fact that she never thought of herself as the kind of person that could actually complete this task. It exceeded the limits of her own self-image. And so if something exceeds the limit of your own self-image, you most likely won't ever try it in the first place. And I believe you will miss some of the greatest growth and even miracles in your life. The Bible's got a story that's very similar to this. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me. We're actually headed to the book of Exodus this morning. It is the second book in your Bible. Um, You're just a a few pages in. And this is a story of, of Moses. And so many of you, I believe, know the story of Moses Um, The bigger picture is this, is you've got the children of Israel. Um, God saw that there was going to be a drought, and he made it so that they could go and camp out in Egypt and because there's lots of food there and there are supplies there. But what turned out to be a long weekend turned into 400 years. And all of a sudden, the the Egyptians are starting to freak out because, like, the Israelites are, like, multiplying like rabbits. And the Egyptians are freaking out because they're like, pretty soon there's going to be more of them than more of us. So we better put them into hard labor and treat them like slaves and control them. And then what happens next is this is where we're going to pick up the verse this morning. Um, In Exodus chapter 2, look at verse 23, if you will, with me. It says, Now it came about in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage. In other words, they're starting to cry out to God. And they cried out, and their cry, um, they cried out to God because of their bondage, and their cry rose up to God. And so God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant, or his promise, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. So we've got this picture now, and here's the scene. If you've got millions of people that God is their one true God, and they're serving Him, and they're doing their best, and they're being oppressed by an entire nation, the most powerful nation in the known world, and they're crying out to God, saying, God, is is this it? Do you have more for us? And God hears their cry, has compassion on their cry, and starts to enact his plan. One of the greatest stories in all scripture. He's saying, I need to send somebody to set my people free. God's always been a God about freedom. He says, all right, I've got this guy, and I'm going to use him, and his name is Moses. And so some of you guys know the story. Uh, You've got Moses now. He's living in in the wilderness, even though he grew up in Egypt, and he's... he's, um, tending sheep right now and he's walking around in the wilderness and then he sees one of the freakiest things in the world and that is he comes across a burning bush that's not consuming itself and i'm not sure exactly what that looks like um to me however we've definitely got another pee your pants kind of moment especially when it starts talking to you and maybe initially moses is the kind of guy where he's just like no it's the desert it's the heat and you just this happens but um But the bush is persistent, even to the point of saying, Moses, you're stepping into some holy ground here, and I need you to take your shoes off. Respect is demanded. 
And Moses begins this encounter with God that, that is, is centralizing himself in this miraculous burning bush. And this is where, in verse 10, we, we find here that God is starting to inquire of Moses if Moses will be a part of God's great plan. Look at verse 10 with me, if you will. It says, Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Look at verse, that was 10 and 11. Moses is saying, who, who am I? All of a sudden, Moses got face to face with a potential limit of his own self-image. God, do you have the right guy? God, do you understand that right now my job is tending sheep? It's not even people. I'm leading sheep. They don't talk back. They just follow me. It's not great leadership skills. I'm the guy with the stick. (laughs) And here God is saying, Moses, you're the guy. It's time. I'm going to use you. And it's as if Moses is like, okay. And then Moses starts to ask a series of stupid questions. Kind of like, so who are you? Like, do you have a name? God says, I am. And Moses is like, I am who? No, he's just, I am that I am. Okay? The whole time, you can pick it up in the passage. When you read it at home tonight, it's kind of thing of, of Moses. You can tell he's starting to think, he's not getting it. And it's like, he also pictures himself going to Pharaoh and going to his people saying, I'm leading you out. And they're like, by whom? Um, I am. Does I am have a last name? It's the same as the first name. And so then it's like God is speaking to Moses, saying, all right, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to ask to lead my people out. And Pharaoh's going to say no. And then there's going to be these miraculous plagues that happen. And then finally Pharaoh will listen to you. And I will be with you. My power is with you. You're going to make it. You're going to do it. Go, Moses. And Moses like, wait, a couple things. What if they still don't believe me? Again, Moses was still thinking this was about him instead of about God. Um, what if what if they want proof other than just your name? God's like, we can do proof. I'm God. You're not. Moses, that stick of yours, I want you to do something. I want you to drop it on the ground. I was like, cool, I can do that. Drops it on the ground. Turns into a snake. You can tell from the passage, Moses doesn't like snakes. <laughs> it gets better. God says, now pick it up. How many of you are not snake people? I am not, not a snake person. If I got a shovel in my hand, I'm closer to being a snake person. But I'm guessing at this point, Moses is copping just a wee bit of attitude, and God is just saying, pick it up, sissy. And so... He picks it up, and it turns back into a staff. All right, now God is like, all right, don't even say anything because you're about to say, but. And so God says to Moses, now put your hand, put it in your cloak. Now pull it out. He pulls it out. His hand's leprous, leprous, which means it's white, and the skin is falling off. Not so cool. God says, just put it back in and pull it out again. He pulls it back, back out, and his hand is perfect. God says, all right, now can you see that I'm pretty powerful? 
And he says, now, if they ever have question about if, who sent you and how powerful I am, just tell them the stories. Then if they still don't believe you, I got one more bag of tricks for you. And that is if you need it, save it for them. But if you need it, just go get some water out of the Nile. You can pour it on the ground and it'll turn to blood. That'll get their attention. Most like, okay, I think I think I got it. But then Moses starts to get face to face with the limit of his own self-image. And here's the most powerful part of the passage. Look at it with me. We are in verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. What's the translation here? Moses was a stutterer. He wasn't Charlton Heston in Ten Commandments. Catch the image here. He wasn't even so concerned about the millions of people he had to lead out of, his, out of Egypt. He was concerned about his speech. He was probably concerned that no one would ever listen to him or even laugh at him. And he was thinking, how could someone like me that can't even put a full sentence together, how could someone like me even do this? It doesn't make sense. And check out God's response. And this is, this is what gets amazing to me. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or sing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, what is God saying here? He's saying, Moses, here's the deal. I can, I can make a, a, a staff turn into a snake and back into a staff. I can make hands leprous and make them whole. I can do it all. I'm God. I spoke this world into existence Don't you think that your mouth is easy for me? This isn't a big deal. But what was the struggle with Moses? It exceeded the limit of his own self-image. He could never picture himself speaking clearly. And to you and to I, it might seem like that doesn't seem like much to me. And I believe what was about to happen was Moses was about to miss miss out on the biggest miracle in his own life not holistically, but personally. Because God still used them. The people, the, the people of, of Israel were still set free. But Moses missed a personal, life-changing experience with God. And this is where we're headed this morning. God will use you if you're open. He will accomplish even great things through you. But until you reach that line of willing to address the limits of your own self-image... And take a step of faith beyond that. You may never see the great miracles of God in your life. And you may never see the growth that God has pre-planned for you to have. But there's also a powerful image here. As far as the response of God goes. Look what it says here. It says, now then go. And I, even I, will be with your mouth. I'll teach you what you are to say. And Moses says, but please, Lord. Send the message by whomever you will. In other words, he's saying, God, you've got the wrong mouth. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to you to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You're to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I even I will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as 
And he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. And you shall take in your hand the staff with which you shall perform the signs. In other words, Moses, if you don't want me to do something great in your life, I'm still going to accomplish the big picture, but you're going to miss out on it personally. Where's Aaron? Choice is yours, dude. I wanted to do something incredible, not for them, but for you. But it would put you face to face with your limits of your own self-image. Do you want to to take the step? And Moses said, no. Here's the great irony. The first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. There's a second name for those books. They're called the Books of Moses. Moses wrote this story after it happened. Think about it. If Moses wrote this story, then what is he doing? He's basically indicting himself in his own memoirs. Because if I was retelling the story, I'm only hitting the high points. I'm hitting, saw a burning bush, God spoke to me, I said, bring it on. God performed some miracles, and then God just said, where's your brother? That's where I'm headed with it. But Moses is very deliberate to tell the part of the story where he missed God, and God got frustrated. God wanted to give him something, and Moses turned it down. You almost get the impression that Moses will look back upon this moment with regret the rest of his life. So what's the principle? I believe that when we face the limits of our own self-image, we open up the possibility for the miraculous. Why? There is a God that can do some pretty incredible things. And what's real life about? Real life isn't about sticks and serpents and hands that are sick and hands that are whole. Real life is about God meeting you at the point of your greatest fear and the greatest limit of your own self-image and saying, we can go beyond that. Why? Because God sees you as so much better than what you are right now. It's not that he created junk. It's not that he messed up. But what he is saying is, I've got potential for you, but if you, it's going to not be the easiest thing in the world. It will be a challenge, and it will take you beyond the limit of your self-image. But if you're willing to face that limit, you're going to start to step into a place of life that is miraculous, and it's amazing. And it's the kind of life God says, this is what I want for you, and this is what I have for you. So don't let fear get in the way. We have a reluctance, however, because so many of us, we start to think of things like this. I'm just not that kind of person. I just can never picture myself doing that. I'm just not that kind of guy. I'm just not very open. I'm not just very sensitive. I tend to miss these things. And we write ourselves off with a blanket statement saying we're just never going to be that person. And God is saying, why are you saying that? Because it's not about you. It's about God doing great things in you. And so who are we to think that our limit is the real limit if God's involved? Who are we to think that if, if we have a life that's being directed and steered by, by anger, let's say that's your deal, that's your issue. When the stress gets high and the emotion gets high and you're the one that flips to anger and your blanket statement is, hey, I'm Irish, that's just my deal. I got a temper. I say, hey, it's not my fault really, I was born into it. Dad's got a temper, grandpa's got a temper, great-grandpa. Instead of recognizing, well, maybe we've defined a limit and maybe God wants to go beyond it. For others, maybe it's the kind of thing if we find ourselves involved in addictions. You know, those things that where we say, well, I just need this. This is just, this is just how I cope. Whether it's an abusive substance or it's just a bad habit or whatever it would be. But we've defined for ourselves who we are and who we're not. And God's saying, can I be the God beyond that? 
Can I be the God that shows up even in a miraculous way to step beyond the limit of your self-image? Can I be that God for you? Is it easy? Absolutely not. But will life get amazing at that point? Absolutely it will. It's a scary step. It's almost like jumping off the top of a telephone pole. For others, we've got approval issues. We were drawn like a mosquito to light. Do you have mosquitoes down here? There's like a whole new world of bugs my wife and I know nothing about. I'm talking to my realtor yesterday, and he's like, we'll do this inspection, but if it goes bad, we've got to tent the house. And I'm like, I don't want to live in a tent. <laughs> and so it's just, that's the thing, folks. If so many of us were drawn to the unhealthy things, the unhealthy attention, and we think we need it, we think we have to have it because we're looking for life to be somewhat smooth for us, and it's not going smooth. For others, we retreat into a depression that we think that's just life. Mom was always depressed. It's just how I deal with it too. I just get quiet. The world goes on. They don't need me anyway. And we think that it's how we do life. And God is saying, that's not who I created you to be. Who I created you to be is not someone that's depressed all the time. But there's a line that we've got to step across and we can step across it together. God's saying, I'll show up in the miraculous if you're willing to step. There was one more girl on our missions team. Her name was Shannon. In all comparison, she was just as afraid of the pamper pole as Adrian was. And before she got her first step on the rung, she started to cry. The, the kind of cry that her entire face was wet. This wasn't just emotional for her. This was an emotional for the, the entire team for this reason. She knew that she was not capable, but she was still willing to do it. And you could tell, she shook every rung up. But this was the difference between she and Adrian. The whole way up, she was like, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. She was a few basic scriptures she, she clung to the entire way up. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And she was reminding herself, it's not about her, it's about God. And she went up the pamper pole. I mean, I don't know how she saw it. She was crying so hard. We were crying with her. I mean, this, you could tell this, is, this was never on her list of things to do in your life. But she did it. She gets to the top. I mean, you see her face and you see the wetness of her face and, and drops coming off of her chin and cling to the top. Jesus, I can do this. I know that, that you're helping me. I know that you're with me. And she gets to the top and she's, she's to that place that she takes the big step and she lets go. And she's crying and she's, she's calling out to, to God. She says, I know that you're with me. I know that your strength is with me. I know I can do this because of you. And it's like in one moment she steps to her feet and we're all just like pausing and and we're not breathing we're watching her and tears are still coming down her face and dripping off of her nose and she stands up and her eyes open somehow she did it with her eyes closed and her eyes open and she sees that she actually made it and this girl that was so sheepish and shy and she never talked after that moment it changed for her. And the entire trip that we spent together she was one of my most outgoing girls and she looks back and she says because I did it I did something that I never should have been able to do. And I saw God do something in my life that was no less miraculous than dividing of the Red Sea. 
And if, that, if God can do that for me in that moment, then what? Why am I letting the little things of life hold me back? And I'm thinking, wow, God, maybe you've got bigger plans than we, we even recognize. Maybe, maybe you know that we're all struggling and that you're the real answer here. And I recognize that there's a simplicity in that statement. But I think for so many of us, we right now are in a stage of our life that we want to quit. Most likely there's some of you in this room that are ready to walk away from your marriage. You're ready to walk away from family, just even relationships as a whole. There's, they've reached a breaking point and you're, you're talking to yourself in terms like, I can't do it anymore. That's my limit. I'm, I can't, I can't. We're done. And you're ready to walk away from family. Your, your wife, your husband. From these situations that you don't think you're strong enough to do. You know what? I know you're not strong enough, but this isn't about you anymore. This is about God. And if we're willing to look at that line of limit of our own self-image and to recognize that there's a world beyond it that God's all a part of, then maybe if we're willing to step, or maybe the better term is if we're willing to climb that pole, There's a God that will show up in miraculous ways for you. The choice is yours. No one else can make it for you. Moses actually chose the wrong thing. That sweetheart Shannon, ten years ago, chose the right thing. But you've got a choice today, too. Step into where God really wants you to go. Or just say, no thanks. starts with a step. There's a lot of you that have come in here today that maybe you're just checking out this place or maybe you're checking out the whole God scene. There's something tugging in your heart and you're not sure if it's real or not yet. But more and more you're starting to think, God, I think think you want me to do something, some sort of response to you. And there is a response and it's a step. It's a step by saying, God, would you lead my life? Because this is really what we're talking about this morning. It's the deal with Moses. It's the deal with Adrian. And it was the deal with Shannon. They're saying, God, would you lead my life even in the tough days? And would you take me to the place I never could go to myself? And I believe that aside from pamper poles and mission trips and those fun things to talk about and experience, it's about heaven and hell and it's about life that we're living today. And I'm saying, is God leading your life? If he's not, it starts with a choice. It starts with a step. And I promise you, when you take that step towards God, you will find he is there waiting to greet you. It's not about you being good. It's not about you getting things right with God before you come. It's about God saying, just get on the bus. Let's throw the baggage underneath. We'll deal with it later. Just come. And if that's you today, then I want you to know that even on this Father's Day, your life can change. And it changes by you saying, God, would you come into my my life and lead my life? So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for those of you that are on your search. Because I believe that you will find God. And I want to pray for you that are facing that decision in your life of you're standing at the line, that limit of your own self-image, and you don't know if you can step beyond. And I hope that we can learn the lessons from Scripture. The lesson that Moses never got a hold of. Because there's a miraculous world for you that God has established for you. But you have the choice to step in or not. Let's pray.
Lord God, I thank you that you want to do incredible and amazing things in us and through us. But God, I know that so many of these things we face in life are knee-knocking opportunities. We're scared. We can't picture ourselves doing this. But God, I know that that's where you come in and you do what you do. That's what makes you God. And so I ask of you, God, that right now that you would speak to hearts. And for anyone that's standing on that edge and contemplating, turning around and walking away, saying, it just never will be done, I pray that you would speak to their heart just like you spoke to Moses, saying, I'm God. I can do this. Just take a step. I will be there. I will enable you, and I will walk you into the greatest miracle you've ever seen. So, Lord, speak to hearts today. Encourage lives today. And help us, even collectively as a church, to take a step of faith forward today into the place you want us to be. Lord, for those that are at a point of decision in their life right now, I pray that you help them. Even in that way that only you can do, speak to their heart and show them that you love them and care for them and just want to lead their life and to lead it into great places and great days with you. We love you, God. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.